You're listening to the Trace Church Rock Rimmon podcast. What's up, Trace Church? I uh, hope you guys are doing well today. It's good to be with you uh, this morning. I just want to take a moment and say welcome to all of you that are joining us for the very first time. We're not going to make you stand up or wave or anything like that. We just want you to know that we're honored to have you as guests uh, here with us this morning. Uh, next, just want to say welcome to all of you that are joining us online. We're super excited to have you as a part of the conversation today. If you have any questions or anything that you are wondering about when it comes to Trace Church, feel free to drop a comment uh, below. Someone will get in touch with you. We'd love the opportunity to, co- to connect with you and also get you more connected as well. And so my name is Josiah, and I have the opportunity to be one of the pastors here at Trace, and it looks like you guys got the memo, but if you haven't heard, uh, today and this week is one of the first weeks that masks have been mandated in the state of Colorado. And so first and foremost, I just want to say thank you uh, for being respectful during this season and just wearing a mask while you're here. I know that this is not the easiest thing to ask of some of you. I know that this can be extremely frustrating. I understand uh, that this uh that masks can actually just be really uncomfortable at times. But this is an opportunity, an opportunity for us as people uh, to look towards the needs of others, even over our own. And we didn't come to this decision lightly. Uh, This is not an easy decision for us to make as a church, but we want to do our part as a church, and we want to make sure uh, something as small as wearing masks does not get in the way of what we want to accomplish as a church. Now listen, we as a church here at Trace are still very much so uh, on mission to leave a trace of God's love everywhere that we go. And so if we have to wear a mask to do that, then so be it. Uh, But thank you so much for continuing to partner with us. Thank you for doing this uh, with us. Uh, We really do appreciate your sacrifice in this. Um, If you are new here, one of the things that you need to know about us is that we're very big on our empowerment culture here, Uh, that we're not just after creating one big show that is better than anyone else in the city uh, so that people come here uh, to hopefully attempt to see Jesus. But actually, we want to empower everyone in this church uh, to share the gospel with everyone that they know. Now, we recognize that everyone who attends here at Trace is different. Now, we all have different gifts. We all have different abilities, influence, talents uh, that are unique to us. And so we want to help you discover what those things are. We want to help develop you as leaders and help push you toward the direction of your purpose. And so whether you're a young leader like me trying to figure things out, or maybe you've been leading for a long time now, and it's been in your home or at work or maybe even in the church, we want to invite you guys to something uh, that we think will elevate your leadership as individuals. And that is this, that on August 6th and 7th, we as a church will be hosting a simulcast of the Global Leadership Summit. And this is really just an opportunity for you all to come here, listen to some excellent world-class leaders talk about what took them to the next level in their own leadership, especially when it comes to leveraging the influence that they have as leaders. And so if you sign up before Tuesday, uh, the cost is going to be $99. If you sign up after Tuesday, it goes up to $129. But this has been something uh, that has really helped my leadership. This has been uh, super impactful to Aaron as well. This is one of the reasons that he came and planted this church. Uh, But we also think it will be helpful and encourage your leadership as well. And so your leadership, it matters to us. And so feel free to sign up on the app, go to the featured section, you'll see the GLS logo there, and you can click register here. We hope uh, to see you guys there. But as a church, we've been in a series for uh, several weeks now called The Chosen. Now we recognize that sometimes when we read the Bible, when we read about different characters, they can sometimes feel distant. 
that, you know, their names are hard to pronounce. Sometimes they speak in riddles and sometimes their life experience can be so far removed from our own that it can be hard for us to relate to them. And so as a church, very simply, we just want to close that gap. Uh, We just want to close the gap between uh, their life experience and ours to show everyone that maybe they're not so different from us. And so we started by talking about the life of Peter and that Peter wasn't this perfect holy man all the time, that actually Peter made a lot of mistakes. If anything, he failed his way to success. But then uh, the next week, the following week, we talked about Paul and how he converted his personal influence into kingdom impact that would last a whole lot longer. But then last week, we talked about Mary Magdalene and that she was someone that had everything working against her. But despite that fact, Jesus, he removed those obstacles so that she could step into her purpose. However, today I want to look at the life of a man that is known for one singular event. That in our culture, in our society today, his name has become synonymous with betrayal. But when you look at the rest of his life, when you look at the rest of his story, you can tell that he didn't start there. That actually there were some key moments, some key parts of his life that eventually led him to make the decision to turn Jesus over to be killed. Because today I want to talk to you about a guy named Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot. And so to start, I just want to say this. Uh, I grew up with three brothers, still have three brothers, uh, but I had two older, have two older brothers and one younger brother, making me uh, the third. And there's some not so fun things about being a younger sibling. Many of you guys know this, like you're constantly being told what to do. You're constantly being forced to do things you don't want to do all in an attempt to like impress your older siblings or impress their friends just so that you can have somebody to play with. And those are the not so fun or some of the yeah not so fun things about being a younger sibling. But there are some good things as well. Like, for instance, it's really hard for you to get in trouble as long as your older sibling is there. Because you can always pull out the excuse that, like, you know, they told me to do it or, you know, they said it was okay. And because they're older, this is basically like diplomatic immunity for younger siblings, uh, for the parents. But then also you don't have to deal with all the high expectations that some of the firstborn do. But perhaps the greatest part about being a younger sibling is this. You get to learn a lot from your older brothers and sisters. And sure, you learn some from their successes, but I would say you learn a whole lot more from their failures. Because you guys get this. Like you get a third-party perspective with no skin in the game to see the consequences of, of making one decision or the other. That, you know, if you are the younger sibling, the older sibling basically takes the fall for the rest of us because they make the mistakes that we would have made had we not seen them make them first. And so to all you firstborns that are out there, all you firstborns watching online today, like, thank you for your sacrifices. Thank you for your service. We couldn't have done it without you. We really do appreciate you. But we know this to be true, right? That that we learn a lot from other people. And this isn't just from the mistakes of an older sibling. This is uh, people we work with, friends, family members of ours. We can learn a lot from their mistakes. And the same is true with Scripture. Uh, That when it comes to the stories in the Bible, yes, there are some stories that show us the right thing to do. Yes, there are some stories that show us, hey, this is how you live, should live your life. But I think the stories of people's mistakes are what teach us the most. And I think that's because of this, that failure, not success, that failure is the best teacher. And so while, yes, we look at stories like Peter and Paul and Mary Magdalene and we say, you know, do what they did. Maybe not everything they did, but like a lot of what they did, like they're good examples to model your life after. Today, looking at the story of Judas, we're going to look at it from the complete opposite perspective. Now listen, Judas made a lot of mistakes. Judas had a lot of failures. 
And I think when we look at his story, there's a lot of things that we can learn from his mistakes that can kind of ensure that we don't make the same ones. And so let's take a look at the life of Judas and see what we can learn from it. Uh, now, the first time we're introduced to Judas Iscariot is in the eyewitness account written by a guy named Mark. And one of the first things Mark is going to do is he's going to make a list of the 12 guys uh, that Jesus pulled aside and said, look, I'm going to empower you to preach my gospel to the entire world. And we call these guys the 12 disciples. And so this is what he says in Mark chapter 3. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him and he would send them out to preach giving them authority to cast out demons. These are the 12 he chose. Simon, who's, uh, who he, he named Peter, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed the sons of thunder, which I think is a great nickname. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and finally Judas Iscariot, um, whom later betrayed Jesus. And so in that day, something that's important to note is the names that went first in the list were important, but so were the names that went last. That one was a place of honor and the other was a place of shame. And so Mark, he places Judas at the end of this list, at the last name of this list, to show that he believed that he was the least of the disciples. So from the very first mention, we notice that Judas is a little bit different than the rest of the disciples. But not only that, we learned something from his name as well, Judas Iscariot. His last name, Iscariot, uh, means man of the city. Uh, in common vernacular, that's city boy. Uh, that Judas was very much so a city boy. That it's believed he came from a city in southern Israel known as Kiriath. And so while all the rest of the disciples came from up north right here around the Sea of Galilee, uh, Judas would have came from down here uh, right below Jerusalem from a city called Kiriath. Now, I wasn't there, and the text does not say this, but I can imagine that there was a little bit of pride in that for Judas, uh, that here you have Judas from this very prominent, wealthy city, uh, probably a little bit more well-educated than the other disciples, surrounded by these 11 podunk backwoods fishermen all the time. Like, I can imagine for Judas, there's probably a little bit of pride there. However, I don't believe that whenever G Judas started to follow Jesus, uh, that his intentions were bad. I actually believe that when he started following Jesus, his motives were pure, uh, that he genuinely was curious about this man named Jesus that people were saying was the Messiah, that he genuinely, genuinely was passionate about this mission that Jesus had for him, that I don't think Judas woke up every day where his head popped off the pillow and he said, you know, how can I betray Jesus today? Like, I just don't think that's how it was. I don't think Judas was much different than you and I. Rather, I think for Judas, it was several small decisions that eventually led him to the major decision of handing Jesus over to be killed. That there were actually three actions in his life, three stages in his life, if you will, three moments in his life that eventually led him to become a man that he no longer recognized or respected. And the first one is this, that Judas, he gave in. He gave in. You see, a couple of months ago, when we were in the peak of quarantine, a challenge was released to parents uh, to try on their kids. And this went viral very quickly and became known as the toddler candy challenge. And so if you haven't seen this, basically what happens is a parent will sit their kid down and put a bowl of candy in front of them. And then they'll put a recorder in front of them to, or a phone to videotape them, and they'll tell the kid, hey, you can't eat this yet, 
but I'm going to go into the other room for a couple minutes, and when I get back, you can eat it. So I'm going to go into the other room. Don't touch anything. I'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Make sure you don't eat it. And then they go in the other room for a couple minutes, and then they come back to see if their children obey. Now, I'm not a parent. I don't have kids. But from my perspective, like this is borderline torture, okay? <laughs> like if I were to take any of you or if you were to take me and put something I really wanted in front of me and said, don't touch it until I get back, like I would be furious. <laughs> and so I, I get it, but like I guess they're not my kids, so it's whatever. But uh, I did find one video of this little boy that I think we can all relate to. And so I want you to take a moment and watch this video with me. You watch the rest of the video, he actually ends up eating the entire chocolate bar piece by piece by piece uh, before his dad gets back. Uh, but I took the liberty of freezing one frame of this video just to show you uh, something important, and it's this one right here. Now, I don't know about you, that's the face of a guilty child right there. Uh, that's the face of, oh shoot, I just did something wrong, and I'm pretty sure they caught me on camera uh, look right there. And we know what that's like, and I don't blame the kid. Because although this is the toddler candy challenge, like adults are no different. Uh, that we all have moments like this little boy where we say, you know, I won't, I won't eat it, I won't do it. And then we make sure nobody's watching and then we cover our tracks when we're done. And at one point or at some point or another, we all give in. We all make this face. And we all have moments like this. And so did Judas. It, for this little boy, it may have been chocolate or candy, but for Judas, it was money. It was money that he gave in. You see, in John's account of the life of Jesus, he says this about Judas in John chapter 12. He says, not that he cared for the poor, he was a thief, talking about Judas. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. That Judas was in charge of all the finances for Jesus and the disciples. And as we talked about last week, a lot of this money came from women. Women that worked really hard like Mary Magdalene to support Jesus and the disciples out of their own means. Yet Judas still would steal some of the money or use some of it for himself. Now, once again, I don't believe Judas's motives uh, were impure when he started doing this. Like that little boy, I'm sure he had a conversation with the disciples like, don't worry about it. Like, I got this. You can trust me. I'm not going to steal from you guys. That in the beginning, Judas, he really did want to do a good job with this. But eventually the temptation for him became too much. That he wanted to do a good job, but eventually he too gave in. And maybe one day he was in the marketplace and he was thinking and he saw something uh, that he really wanted, but he left his money at home. And so he thought to himself, you know what, uh, I'll pay them back. And so he bought it with the disciples' money and then never paid them back. Or maybe for him, he was working all day and he got really hungry and he thought to himself, you know what, I'll just go grab something to eat. Jesus would want me to do this. And so he used their money in that moment. Or maybe for him, he was thinking, you know, I'm doing ministry so much, I'm working so hard, and there's these different things that come up. Maybe I can justify this as a business expense, although clearly it was not one. And then he began saying things like, well, you know, it's not that much. It's just a little bit of money. Like nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to find out. I'm not hurting anybody. And in that moment, Judas, he gave in. And for him, it was just a small decision. But you guys know this. Like small concessions only get easier and easier to make until eventually these small decisions become huge problems. And we know this, right? That small concessions eventually lead us to have weak convictions. That it is generally uh, the small decisions made over and over consistently that have a greater impact on our lives than the big ones do. And the same is true for Judas that Judas gave in to the seemingly small areas in his life 
And these small mistakes are eventually going to become a much larger one. So the first thing he does is he gives in. The second thing he does is he blames out. He blames out. What do I mean by that? You see, in this world, there are two types of people. And I think, you know, we can fluctuate back and forth between these. But for the most part, we all have a default setting. That, that for some of us, we're blamers. And then for other of us, we're shamers. That blamers are the kind of people that blame everyone but themselves. That their uh, fingers are you know, constantly stuck in this position, constantly pointed out at other people. This is a defense mechanism that we use whenever we know we've done something wrong, but it's a whole lot easier to point out the sawdust in someone else's eye than to deal with the two by four that is sticking out of mine. However, shamers are the complete opposite. They blame no one but themselves, that everything is their fault, even other people's mistakes, and sometimes they can even internalize everything just uh, to feel the shame of those mistakes. And this is nowhere more true than in my marriage. Uh, that for my wife and I, uh, I am a blamer and my wife Jessica is a shamer. That when I make a mistake, like you have to convince me uh, that I did something wrong if you want me to change. Uh, but for my wife, she's the complete opposite. And I wish I would have known this early on in our marriage. Because when she would make a mistake, I would grill her for it. I would rake her over the coals. I would make sure that she knew what she did wrong. Because in my head, she didn't understand the mistake that she had made but I was completely wrong. That actually was the complete opposite. And for my wife, she was her own worst critic, that she was already heaping guilt on top of herself, and all I was doing was adding to the pile of the things that were already placed on her shoulders. Listen, as people, we all need a place to point the blame. Some push it inward, some push it outward. And for Judas, it was the latter. That after he had chosen to give in to stealing from Jesus and the disciples, he had to do something with that guilt. He had to do something with that blame, and so he pointed outwards. And we actually see him do this with a woman named Mary in John chapter 12. I want to read this story to you. It says, As dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor, Jesus honor, Martha served, and Lazarus uh, was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance, but Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. That Judas had so much guilt in his life, so much blame already placed on his shoulders from his own mistakes that he accuses Mary of wasting money. That it is him who stole. That it is he who gave in, yet he deals the blame outward. And actually, Jesus will scold him for this. In the very next verse, Jesus says this to him. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. That Judas says, Mary, you wasted all of that money. You wasted all of that money. And Jesus says, leave her alone. This is your problem, not hers. That you have some things in your life that you need to deal with. And listen, Judas didn't wake up thinking he was going to betray Jesus, but already his actions are paving the way to his betrayal. That his inability to win the small battles in life have already put him on the defensive. That for Judas, the only defense he thinks he has is to lash out at people that are doing the right thing. And I love to tell you that that's the worst it gets. But it's not. Because yes, Judas gives in. Yes, he points the blame out, but finally the last thing he does is he completely gives up. He gives up on his relationship 
with Jesus. And listen, there's a lot of things that can break down a relationship, whether it's gossip, deception, flat-out adultery. However, one of the most uh, devastating components to a failed relationship is this word right here, contempt. Contempt. And over the years, I've seen relationships recover from all those other things, but rarely have I seen a relationship recover if contempt is involved. Because listen, contempt is stronger than anger. Contempt is stronger than jealousy. Contempt is stronger than comparison. Contempt says things like, they don't actually even appreciate me. Contempt says things like, I do everything for them and they never ask if there's anything they can do for me. Or maybe it says things like, maybe they're just out to get me. And if contempt sets place in a relationship, that relationship probably will not last much longer. And for Judas and Jesus, I think this is what came in between them. That for Judas, contempt set root in his heart and his relationship with Jesus because immediately following this, this is where we see Judas give up. That right after Jesus scolds Judas for what he's done and pointing the blame out, he goes to the people that are hunting Jesus and he says, name your price. I'm done with this relationship. I'm done with this mission. I'm done uh, following Jesus. Tell me your price and I'll get him for you. But the story goes something like this. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priest and asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver, silver. And from that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. I don't want you to miss that. That from that moment on, Judas was looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. That he had given up, that content had settled in and this relationship was done and he was ready to betray Jesus. And eventually that's what he does. Because a couple weeks later, he's going to get his moment. You see, Jesus has just had a meal with 12 of his best friends and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane uh, to begin to pray for what's, what's coming next. That he understands he's about to go and die for the sins of the world. And so in this moment, he's praying for courage. He's praying for the ability to do the right thing. And it's in this vulnerable moment that he sees Judas. This is what it says. And even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. The traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. And so Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he explained, and gave him the kiss. Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. And then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. And guys, this is the moment that Judas is famous for. Like this is his legacy. This is what Judas is remembered for, not the things that he did that were good, because I'm sure he did some good things, but this moment right here where Judas completely gave up. And as we've already talked about, this was not a one-time decision. This was not a decision that was made in a single moment, but this was the accumulation of several small decisions, several small concessions that eventually led him uh, to, to weak convictions and ultimately led him to betray Jesus in this moment. Listen, Judas, he gives in, and he pushes the blame out, but eventually he completely gives up. And maybe you're here today, and you're listening to me talk about this man named Judas. Maybe you can say, you know, yeah, I get that. And maybe you can relate to where Judas is at. Maybe you understand what it feels like to be where he is, to give in, to blame out, and to finally give up. 
And maybe you know what it feels like to give in. There are the seemingly small little decisions that you have made that have started to multiply at a rate that you can't control anymore. And maybe like Judas, you found yourself saying things like, it's not that big of a deal. Like nobody's going to find out. I'm not actually hurting anyone. Maybe for you it was a small embellishment that you said at the end of a story. That you just told a little lie to make yourself look better. Or maybe for you, you just looked at one picture. And I mean, she had most of her clothes on, so it wasn't uh, that big of a deal. It was a one-time thing. Like, we don't need to talk about it. It was a weak moment. Or maybe for you, it was money. Very simply, you spent some money that did not belong to you. Or maybe you justified a business expense when clearly it was not one. And your small concessions have led you to very weak convictions. And in those moments, you give in. And they've started to build. Or maybe for you, you know what it feels like to be on the defensive. That you know you have done wrong, but instead you push the blame out. Guys, maybe you are like me, and you're a blamer. When we do something wrong, we need to make sure everyone else knows what it is that they are doing wrong. That maybe you have some things in your life right now that you are ashamed of and they've caused you to lash out in ways you didn't expect and in people that you said you'd never lash out like that. Maybe your kids, your family, whoever. Or maybe for you, you've become so defensive that anytime anyone tries to give you any sort of feedback, your immediate response is to simply tear them down. Guys, hear me when I say it. I get it. Like I've been there before. Maybe you know what it feels like to push the blame out. Or maybe for you, you're past that. That your faith, your strength, your willpower is at an all-time low. That you've made so many little mistakes in your life that they've started to build, and you think to yourself, nobody could really accept me for who I really am because of what I've really done. That you start to think, you know, maybe people are just out to get me. Or for you, you feel like you've gone too far. For you, you're ready to give up. Maybe you've been hurt by friends. Maybe you've been hurt by family. Maybe you've even been hurt by someone like me that stands up here and all they seem to want to do is make you feel more guilty. And guys, if that's you, I'm sorry. Truly, I'm sorry for the way that people have hurt you. If I were in your shoes, I would probably feel the same way. And if I'd experienced what you'd experienced, I probably would want to give up too. That's what I love about the story of Judas. It's not how Judas treats Jesus. But instead, it's how Jesus treats Judas. Because don't miss this. Even though Judas had given up on Jesus, Jesus had not given up on him. And guys, the same is true for you, that even when you've given up on Jesus, he has not given up on you. Because at this point in the story, like Judas, he's just betrayed Jesus. He's literally just handed him over to be killed by the Romans. And for all intents and purposes, Judas has given up on Jesus, but Jesus hasn't given up on him. Because in this moment, Jesus, he could have done a lot of different things. He could have called down an army to annihilate this force of troops and escaped. He could have allowed Peter to kill the high priest and sent him after Judas and said, bring him back dead or alive. I don't care. But he doesn't do that. Now, you know how Jesus responds? He goes with the men. He allows the men to arrest him. He allows them to torture him. 
He allows them to take turns mocking him, to take turns beating him, to punch him in the face repeatedly, person after person, until eventually Jesus is unrecognizable to his friends. And listen, Jesus, he retaliates by taking his cross to the top of a hill. He responds with nail-pierced hands and cries of agony. Jesus looks at this world, the mistakes that literally Judas just made. And he says, you know what? Put them on my record. I'll take the punishment he deserves. I'll die the death the world deserves. You see that even when Judas had given up on Jesus, Jesus had not given up on Judas. He's not giving up on you. No matter who you are, or what you've done, or what's been done to you, listen, you are not too far gone. And after Judas betrayed Jesus, Jesus went to a cross and died for Judas. And he died for you. For no other reason than he loves you. And actually, he's crazy about you. And he wants to spend eternity with you. And listen, even if you've given in, even if you've pushed the blame out, even if you've completely given up on Jesus, it is Jesus that is still standing there, arms wide open, not just willing, but wanting to offer you something called grace. And the best part about it is that it's a gift, and it's free. It's for everyone. So maybe you're sitting there this morning and you have given in. Maybe there are some small decisions, some small concessions that you've made that have built to a point that you can no longer control. Guys, if that's you this morning, do not leave this room without talking to somebody about that. Now listen, you were not designed to carry that on your own, and I promise you're not strong enough. But we as a church would love to come around you, would love to partner with you, love to struggle with you in those things. Or maybe for you, you like to push the blame out. And like me, you're a blamer. And maybe you've burned some bridges along the way and you've said some nasty things to some people because you were hurt. Guys, if that's you, do not let a day go by where you don't go make that relationship right, where you apologize, where you admit that you were in the wrong, that you tell them that you had some other things going on at the time, not as an excuse, as an opportunity to make things right. Or maybe for you, you have given up. That your relationship with Jesus is dead. That the church or religion has burned you. That all the church is good for is making you feel more guilty and reminding you that you do not belong here. That you probably never will. Somewhere along the road, they used fear as a tactic to scare you into following Jesus. Guys, if that's you once again, I'm sorry. Because that is not the Jesus that I know. That is not the reason that you should follow Jesus. No, the reason you should follow Jesus is because there's no one on this earth, no other religion, no other philosophy, no other man alive that is willing to take you at your worst, but that wants to lead you to your best, just like he did with Judas. So wherever you're at this morning, whether you've given in, whether you've pushed the blame out, or whether you've completely given up, I need you to hear me. There is a God that loves you. There's a man named Jesus that is for you, that wants to be with you. He wants to offer you something called grace. And that all you got to do is choose to accept it. Because don't forget, even when you've given up on Jesus, as he has not given up on you. Let's pray.
God, thank you for this moment. Thank you for the opportunity to reflect on a man named Judas. And God, someone that betrayed you, you would go and you would die for them. The very man that turned you over to be killed that you said he's still worth it to die for. God, I pray that gives us hope. That if you could love and accept someone like Judas, then maybe you could love and accept someone like me. God, I pray for the people that are in here that if they do not have a relationship with Jesus, God, that you would just open their hearts wide open, that you would speak so loudly in this moment that they cannot ignore you. God, you would show them how desperate you are to just be in a relationship with them. God, I pray that you would just let us leave different than we came. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to transition into a time of response. And very simply, we as a church, we never want to be the kind of people that just show up here on Sunday to listen to somebody uh, tell a couple jokes and say a couple clever lines and then leave the same as we came. Uh, That we want to provide an opportunity every single week for people to respond exactly how they need to. And so this morning, there's a couple different ways that you can respond. Guys, maybe for you, you do not know Jesus whether you've been burned by the church or not, or maybe you never had a relationship with Jesus, and and you hear about this guy that will never give up on you. And you want to know what that's about, and you want to accept this grace that Jesus has for you. If you'd love to have a conversation about that, I would love to have a conversation with you. And so I'll be in the back, and I'd love to talk to you about that. Or maybe for you, you do know Jesus that you understand exactly what it is that he's done for us. And every week as a church, we take this moment to remember exactly what it is that Jesus did for us on the cross, that he took the punishment we deserve, each and every one of us. And he died the death that we deserve so that he could offer us something called grace so that someday we could be with him again. And so all around this room, there's tables with uh, some crackers and some juice, and you can go to those tables and you can just take a moment to be grateful And to thank God for sending his son Jesus into this world to die that death and make that sacrifice. Or maybe for you, you're sitting in here today and there's some things on your heart that are just too heavy for you to handle. That maybe it's some mistakes that you've made in your past. There's some uh, habits, some small concessions that you've made that you are ashamed of. Or maybe there's just some things in your life right now that you need some prayer for. Guys, we would love the opportunity to pray for and with you. And so if you would, uh, download our app and fill out a prayer request form. We would love the opportunity to do that. But finally, we as a church, we always want to be growing in generosity. And we never want to get to a point where we feel entitled to what we have been given. And so guys, if you've come prepared to give today, uh, there's buckets at all the tables. Uh, you can go ahead and bring your offering there. Listen, I don't know how you need to respond this morning, but however you do, I pray and I ask that you do. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll go ahead and respond. God, once again, I just want to thank you for this time. Time to reflect, time to respond, time to leave different. God, I know there's some things going on in our hearts right now, and there's some uh, things that we want to do, but God, I, I pray you just give us the courage. God, if there's some sin, if there's some stuff going on in anybody's life in here, And they just need the courage. They just need the opportunity to talk to somebody about it. I pray that they take that step. God, that whoever receives that news from that person would be gracious, that they would love them like you do, full of truth and grace. 
that this would not be a time to cast blame or point out faults of anybody else, but this would be a time where the things that are in the dark can come to light. God, whatever needs to happen in this moment, God, I pray you make it happen. And if there are people in this room that do not know you, God, that are wondering about your grace, that are anxious for a relationship with someone that would never give up on them, God, I pray you give those people the courage to talk to somebody about it. God, we're so grateful for your son, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.